Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Lazar Wellbeing Show. Now today I am joined by a very interesting guest who promises to share with us the secret to happiness. Yep, absolutely. Now, interestingly, he was the chief business officer at Google for a number of years at a time when he was spearheading the company's most radical expansion into driverless cars and a balloon-powered internet. And during this time, as he shares in his book called Solve for Happiness, Engineer Your Path to Joy, he was paid handsomely, was happily married, with two lovely children, plenty of cash. And yet, despite all of this, he didn't feel happy. Yeah, the cars, the clothes, the holidays didn't seem to bring him long-lasting joy. Rather, the more he had, the worse, he says, he felt. So he put his engineering brain to task to find a solution to contentment. And he landed on the equation that happiness is our perception of our own lives minus the expectation of how life should be something that we are going to dive into in more detail in this episode. But then tragically, in 2014, he lost his precious 21-year-old son, Ali, during a perfectly routine, simple operation. And his own happiness theory was, of course, majorly put to the test. Now, in the book, he details his own experience with grief, depression and recovery, and using the same, quote, moonshot mindset that had helped him achieve incredible things in his professional life at Google and beyond, Mo is seeking to make a billion more people happy. Yes, a billion, regardless of their situation in life. So without further ado, let's hear from Mo. So Mo, welcome very much to my podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here. I'm a massive admirer of yours and all that you've achieved and your your backstory is just so inspiring. So thank you for finding the time to join us. It's absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure. I, we, we've, it, took, it took us some time to arrange it, but I'm really, really excited and grateful to be here. Yeah. So I'm just so interested in this equation for happiness. You know, you come from an engineering background. And yeah. can you talk us through the equation? I mean, what is it? And is it, is it real? Can we actually break it down into a simple equation? 
it, it, it can it can be quite uh, simple actually and quite predictable really like an equation and i i hope that doesn't scare our listeners it's not this is not a math podcast but uh, you know if you if you've observed every time in your life you ever felt happy and attempted to find a common sort of trend line for those moments in your life you would realize that every single time you felt happy was not a result of a single event or a specific event in your life. It was a result of a comparison between that event and how you wanted life to be. In a very simple way, your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between every event of your life and your expectation of how that event should be, how life should behave. And if you subtract events minus expectations, events minus expectations, if life meets your expectations, you're happy. If life misses your expectations, mm-hmm. you're unhappy. And so w- w- when you get that kind of definition, that kind of accurate definition of what triggers happiness and what triggers unhappiness, it starts to actually become, it starts to become very, very manageable. You can actually do something in a predictable way, in a, in a, in a process-oriented way, in a methodic way uh, to achieve happiness more often. So does that mean then that if you are a high achiever or very ambitious, oh, yeah. less likely to be happy? <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what I love about that question? It always comes to me from high achievers. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I classify myself in that camp, but I, you, you have made me worry slightly. <laughs> yeah. So it is true, by the way. Most high achievers are most of the time dissatisfied with life because, you know, even though they achieve more than others, they still think that they can do better. They still think that they are falling short. And, and you know, you know how it is. You, you run like mad and you score that goal. And suddenly it feels like the, the goalposts have been moving a yes. little further, right? You, you, yes. you get to point A. I mean, and by the way, that's not only high achievers. If you, if you remember you graduated and you just looked for your first job and you said, if I can get 100 pounds. A hundred pounds a month, that will be amazing. You got that. And what did you do? You said, mm, I meant 150. And then you got that. And you said, oh, but I need a mortgage, maybe a little more. And the, the goal just keeps moving away. And for many of us, you know, the way I define middle age crisis is when you actually get to a point where you've achieved almost all of those goals that you dreamt of. And then suddenly looked back and said, were these the right goals at all? Was that really what I wanted from my life? So from one side, yes, high achievers sadly end up unhappy even though they achieve. But also those who don't have high expectations from life seem to be quite happy. So, you know, if you, if you go to India, uh, you know, if, if the expectation is I may not be able to eat every day, uh, you know, if I give you a bowl of rice, you're very happy. If you go, uh, you know, to, to, to the UK and you, get, you order that massive meal on the delivery, you're unhappy because you wanted to go out and have that meal outside. You know, expectation makes a difference. Yes. But, but, but don't get me wrong. Huh? I'm not saying don't be ambitious. Hmm? There is a difference between ambition and expectation. Ambition is, is what I do with my life. Huh? I, I, I wrote Soul for Happy, my book, to attempt to get to 10 million people very quickly you know, my message of happiness, actually because of Channel 4 and, and PR that we did in the UK, the message was, I think we reached 87 million people in the first eight weeks. Wow. And, and, and because of that, 
you know, I went back and, up, you know, sort of upgraded the mission, if you want, from 10 million happy to a billion happy. <laughs> right now, a, 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 billion, a billion, exactly, that's the kind of reaction I want because a billion is not a realistic expectation, but it's a wonderful, wonderful ambition, right? Ambition is that directional, you know, aspiration you want to give yourself either for your life or for the next three to four years or for your relationships or whatever that is. It's an ambition and, and that means directionally you're going to wake up every morning and try to go in that direction, right? But if you don't achieve a billion happy, do you think I will, you know, on my deathbed fall down and break down and cry and go like I'm a failure? No, if I, if I make you happy today, that's more than enough. Yeah. So, so my expectation is realistic. It, my expectation is it took Jesus, you know, 2,000 years to reach a billion people. Huh? So who am I? I'm never going to get to that. But it's nice. It's <laughs> nice to stretch yourself as long as it doesn't make you unhappy to miss that. That's, that's a really, really great way of framing it. And you said there about getting to middle age and midlife and midlife crisis and then realizing, you know, were those goals right? You know, had I set my happiness on, on the right things? Your experience, I think it you know, shows just that. You, you were extremely successful, are extremely successful, but you were working with Google. You had you know, more money than sense. You had everything in life, an amazing marriage and family, and, and yet you weren't happy. Is that really true? Yeah, it is very, very true. I, and I had, I mean, I, I look back at it now and I think I was one of the most fortunate because I got my middle age crisis when I was 29, right? Mm -hmm. Which really is... You know, again, it's not an age. Huh? It is basically you set yourself up with a few dreams and then you achieve them and you go like, that's it. You know, it's, the, it's all of those empty promises they made me that the car is going to make me happy and the expensive watch is going to make me happy and the beautiful woman in my life. I mean, honestly, she did make me very happy. But you know how often it is huh, that you set yourself a target hmm? and that target then is achieve then you go like that what was that right and and for me i i had everything i had you know uh, I, remember i'm egyptian born and raised in egypt educated in a public university and public school in egypt and so you know i didn't expect to go that far and at age 25 when myself and my college sweetheart we got married you know it was was the happiest people ever we didn't have enough to go through the month as a matter of fact, at the end of the month, we would have to go spend more time with our loved parents because we were hungry. Yes. And it, it is, <laughs> you know, it, it, and, and then by age 29, I had been a stock market trader. I used my math skill to literally print money. I was a director at a, at a major consumer goods company in Dubai, uh, you know, tax-free. I had the cars, the beautiful wife that gave me two wonderful kids, and I was miserable. Miserable. Like miserable. If I had, if I had been a diagnosed, I would have definitely been diagnosed clinically depressed, right? And and this is not unusual. As I mean, when I started my happiness mission, uh, you know, I train tens of thousands of people every year. But of those, often every year, of ten, as we say in the UK, uh, there are uh, you know maybe a hundred of them that are extremely high net worth individuals, billionaires, mm. right? And they're miserable, miserable. Absolutely, money doesn't make you happy. I mean, think of the last time that you could purchase anything with money that made you happy for more than a few hours or a few days, 
mm. right? Mm. Uh, you know, th there is no inherent happiness in things. And, and that's, by the way, the core of the equation. The core of the equation is events minus expectations. Hmm? There is a, a, a very strange chemistry in our brain. When the events become better, our expectations become higher. <laughs> it keeps okay? going. <laughs> it keeps going. I mean, look at, look at Northern Europe. Northern Europe has the highest subjective well-being in the world. I mean, if you compare someone living in Norway, their needs are met much, much better than someone living in Brazil, right? But the truth is, you know, because of the increase in subjective well-being, people start to believe that life owes them something, that yep. there is some sort of a service level agreement between you and life that things are not supposed to go wrong, like I'm supposed to be cared for, but yep. things go wrong. You know, you suffer loss, your partner fights with you, you know, you, you, you uh, get stuck in traffic, you know, sometimes you get sick, whatever. But things do go wrong and, and you compare that to an expectation of perfection and what ends up happening is you feel unhappy, right? I and I was in that space. I have heard counsellors who, who have therapy sessions with couples, for example, say that one of the hardest things to treat is this entitlement. Totally. That, that we believe we are entitled to something. Totally, totally. I, you know, it is so, I mean, I say that with a lot of sensitivity, of course, because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But in, in, the, in the Middle East where I come from, one of the most beautiful aspects of our culture is a, is a culture of gifting. Right. So it's, it's highly expected that instead of asking for things, you give things. OK. And and it's, it's actually quite rude to not accept a gift. So, uh, you know, when when you're given something, you accept it. And then your role is to go back a bit later and give back a gift. Hmm? And so in relationships with my with my wonderful ex-wife, which is really was one of the biggest gifts I've ever been given. The idea wasn't about the individualistic Western way. It was about how can I make her happy? I mean, contribute to her happiness. You can't really make anyone happy. Hmm? Mm -hmm. But but in not, not really thinking about how am I going to make myself happy? Because in return, she would want to try her best to make me happy. My gift to her is what I can give. And her gift to me is what she can give. And that dynamic is very, very different than the highly individualistic, a, a bit self-centered approach that we get, uh, you know, educated or conditioned uh, to, to think about in the West. And it culturally, and this is, by the way, not just the Middle East, this is the case in India and Latin America and so many places uh, that are considered uh, emerging markets or, you know, third world countries sometimes okay. because, because you know, we're much more trained to believe that our happiness is the happiness of our community, of the people that we love, of, you know, it's it's not about my individual success, it's our, our success as a whole. And when you start to think about those things, they shift your perspective, right? they shift your approach to things, and they get you to see, to see things differently. Talking about seeing things differently, you know, your approach is very analytical. And I've heard you say that you're not really a fan of using some of the things that we've become to accept with, um, except for becoming tools of happiness, things like mindfulness and being more spiritual. You know, do you, do you see that as something that actually doesn't really factor into this? I, I am really spiritual, as, as spiritual as I can, as, as I hope to be able to be, right? 
I'm, I'm even religious in a very unusual way, if you want. Uh, but, and, but we should probably define spiritual because that's an important topic. Let's come back to this in a minute. Um, I don't know how to tell you this. Uh, uh, using an electric scooter is a good thing in your life, okay? But it's not for everyone. Can, can we agree that? Right, yeah. and so and so, um, what normally happens, and I say that again with a lot of respect, is in the West we productize everything. We give it a brand, we give it a look. We have a little music in the background and a and an and image and an ego and a, you know. And so, meditation and mindfulness hmm, uh, are fundamental to your happiness. But but they're fundamental when you do them properly. And so on, on my podcast on Slow Mo, I interviewed one of my dear friends, Matthew Ricard, who is, you know, 40 years monk. Hmm? One of the happiest people in the world because of the way his brain is restructured. But Matthew, when you talk to him, he, he and he will tell you openly his happiest times when he was in solitary isolation of silence for years at the time. Now that is the kind of practice that you need to rewire your prefrontal cortex, to rewire your insula to the point where those things work. And a typical monk practice is 17 years of uh, meditation for several hours a day. Now, we in the UK, for example, uh, less than 10% of people will meditate for more than 10 minutes a month. A month. Now, yeah, yeah, and and when, when you start to think about it this way, you start to realize that we're selling to them something, the image, the, the persona, the fluffy white dress, the image of meditation, but we're not actually saying the truth. Hmm? And the truth is our, our modern day warrior lifestyle does not allow you to do what, what a, a proper a practitioner of those things should do. Hmm. So you have to supplement those things with practices that fit in the modern world. Okay? Otherwise, you're not practicing enough. And you know, people will say, yeah, meditate, even if it's 10 minutes a day. And I absolutely agree. 10 minutes a day is amazing because of neuroplasticity. But if you really want to get there, if we, can, if we really want to give people the promise, then hold on. You need to be present a lot more often in the day. So, you know, in, in, in my next book, uh, now it's become the third book, uh, I call it the, that little voice in your head. Uh, you know, I talk about what I call meditation in the modern world, okay? And to meditate in the modern world, you don't need to say om, you don't need to sit in a specific, you know, uh, formation, you don't need to listen to guided meditation. This is not meditation. Meditation is the act of, of focusing your thoughts on something other than thoughts. Okay, and so when when they, when we say you know focus on your breathing, you could focus on your breathing. You could focus on the itch on your nose. You could focus on the pain in your back. You could focus on the sounds of the cars outside. Whatever it is that you focus on is an exercise that gets you away from that incessant thinking, the yeah. the default mode network, and into deliberate attention. And deliberate attention is the key. That's what we're trying to get to, to train our minds to be able to take control of those minds and not let them wander all the time. Now, what are those practices? You can, as I said, you can focus on the itch on your nose, but you can also focus on the grain of the wood on the coffee table that you're sitting in front of to, to have your coffee. 
Okay, you can literally follow the grain. You can focus on uh, um, the number six on the cars that are passing by. You can uh, focus on the color red in the room that you're in. You can focus on a hundred thousand things. Or what my favorite is here. I can focus on your eyes when I'm talking to you right now. Right? I can focus on your nose. I can I can connect to you as a human. I can focus on my own self as a human. I can focus on my emotions hmm? and really connect with my emotions. I, I have a, a daily exercise that I mean four times a week that I call Meet Becky, which is basically my idea of, of being able to listen to the thoughts in my head, but but really focus on them. And that's all you need to do. Huh? This is an exercise of deliberate attention so that through neuroplasticity, day after day after day after day, hmm, you start to grow those parts of your brain that are needed for you to find that calm and peace. Now, 10 minutes of meditation in the morning, absolutely mandatory. But on a good day, by having those practices of meditation in the modern world, I could be meditating six to seven hours, right? If I, if I pay attention to every human being that comes to me, turn my body to them, listen to them fully attentively, huh? you know, if I pay attention to my surroundings and truly smell the coffee, if I'm in a coffee shop or if, you know, truly make a wonderful coffee if I'm making a coffee in the morning, all of that is, is, is meditation. All of that is deliberate attention. Right. And taking it away from the thought. And therefore, the other side of that is to give deliberate attention to thought and have those times where you're that, going So to that's the life. Jedi master level. So the Jedi, you know, your, your black belt level is to start to have awareness of everything around you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or everything inside you, you know, in the physical form. The Jedi master level is to become aware of what you're aware of. Okay. <laughs> or to become aware when you lose awareness. That is the kink okay. of all awareness, okay? is to say, oh my God, I slipped there. I wasn't here for a while. I was inside my head, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. To find that. Hmm? And by the way, again, deliberate attention, just like going to the gym, huh? If you go to the gym and you put in on weights that you lift, that are easy for you to lift, you're not exercising. The exercise, hmm, uh, I, I, again, I hosted uh, Tukten Golan, who was a very famous British uh, uh, monk, uh, and he was talking about the idea of the ability to bring your brain back, your mind back, that's what you call it, brain, to bring your mind back to calmness when it strays, that is the exercise. This is meditation, yes. right? And, and, and so the, the idea of realizing, recognizing that you're no longer aware and then bringing it back to awareness. That's what, you're, what builds your mindfulness strength. That's what, this is what builds the muscle. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's the idea of basically exercising by carrying just a little more weight than yeah. you can carry. And that is actually making changes in the brain. It's interesting to hear you talk about neuroplasticity. Oh, absolutely. So, so you see, um, um, again, you know, I, I discuss this uh, a lot in, in general. The, 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 the idea of what they call hypofrontality, which is your lack of ability to pay deliberate attention to things, is highly correlated with most of the well-being uh, well or mental health, uh, health uh, challenges, right? So, you know, uh, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, substance abuse, depression, 
and, and many, many, many others uh, of those negatives, uh, you know, uh, diagnoses that we find ourselves in are linked to the idea of not being able to pull your brain's attention when you need to, to the point that you want. And of course, we all know that. Huh? Once you let your brain go, go wild, what does it do? It focuses on the negative. It just goes and analyzes everything around it, looking for what's wrong with life. Hmm? And, and, and so, so the idea of you taking your brain back and saying, hey, 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 can we have a good conversation here? Can we, can we actually be realistic about what's good and what's bad and what is missing and what is uh, available? Can we actually uh, stop being negative unnecessarily? Can we have a realistic view of life and recognize that we're living in an amazing part of the world where there is still good and so on and so forth, right? Mm. Now, the, the thing about this is that like your muscles, when you go to the gym, hmm, what you use grows and what you don't shrinks. So if you go to the gym every day and squat, 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 you're going to look like a pear, okay? It's going to be physically visible. You can see it. Hmm? Similarly, if you complain, 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 inside your brain, you're wiring the brain in a way mm. where the brain starts to say, this activity is very repetitive. I need to be really good at it. So I'm going to increase my complain muscles no, uh, so that I, absolutely. Oh. So you become better at complaining, and 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 so I, I actually do a, an exercise when I used to to teach people in physical uh, classrooms. I used to tell people try to remember hmm, uh, uh, the bad things about life and the good things about life, or the bad things about you and the good things about you. And most people will remember more bad than good. Okay, oh. and 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 the, and then I ask them and say. Why is that? Because we've trained our brain secretary to, uh, to, to circuitry, sorry, circuitry mm. to, to find what's wrong. So the brain is really good at it. Mm? I mean, uh, with all due respect, I was locked down in London. Mm? And, and I love the BBC because as a Middle Eastern, it was one of the sources of open information, if you want, the BBC World Service, uncensored. And, and, and you know, uh, when I was locked down in London, I tried for a few days to switch on the TV in the morning. And what does the, a, a typical news channel in oh. the UK uh, or anywhere oh, in the world yeah. do? We've had months and months of negativity and, and it's... You, an entire lifetime of negativity. Yeah. It starts with a corrupt politician that's doing something incredibly bad, yeah. followed by a, uh, you know, something wrong with life and, you know, something that's wrong with your own life and then followed by... Uh, you know, someone is in distress, like a boy fell in a in a well somewhere, and then they close by a penguin kissed a cat, and life is worth living. Get up and just try to continue with your life, yeah. right? Yeah. And and what are you training your brain? What are you training your brain? You're training your brain that there is so much wrong that I need to focus on the wrong. That four parts to one part are wrong versus right. Okay. And again, on on slow mo, one of the early episodes, I had Karen Guggenheim, the the CEO of the World Happiness Summit. And I said, Karen, so what do you do about that? And she said, I schedule my anxiety. Yeah, and I said, really? and I said what, what, yeah, I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I, I can't live without the news. So I watch the news every day from 2 to 2.30 p.m. And then I stop. And I laughed out loud. I said, oh, that's funny. I scheduled my anxiety between 2 and 2.10 around four months ago. Okay. And yeah. I, I, have, I promise you, I, it's not, we're, get, we're now December. Yeah. I have not watched the news since April. That is and I'm alive and good. Yes. Yeah, I'm alive and good. 
And when, when there is a lockdown around me, people text me. They say, hey, Mo, yeah. Yeah, but but even just to have that period of negativity free from the news, if you if you need that, to have it in the middle of the day, so you get up and your day's not ruined because it gets off to a really great start, and you absolutely get up onto the right foot. Then maybe you tune into a little bit because you need to, but then you've got plenty of time to process it, move on, have a nice evening, put it behind you. Yeah, exactly, and 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 that's deliberate attention. Yes. Okay, I'm absolutely going to do that because in the old days before we had you know, 24-7 news, you'd maybe get a morning newspaper and you'd, you'd read it once and you'd put it down and that was it. You know, there wasn't this com- constant bombardment from every angle. You have, to, you have to ask yourself in whose favor that is. I mean, one of my favorite books of all time is Freakonomics. And Freakonomics will tell you that you're not receiving 24 hours news because it's important for you, but because it's important for the news network. Yes. Because they need you to be there for 24 hours so yeah. that they, you know, they can play ads for you for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I have, I know a couple of people close to me who've had serious mental health issues through literally just being locked down and playing 24-7 news. You know, one, one poor person yeah. has actually, you know, been sectioned and, you know, and these were perfectly rational, normal, you know, no previous issues. So very quickly, I think that was the interesting thing with lockdown here is mindsets, people's mindsets and negativity and fear can change so quickly. That was the extraordinary thing. More terrifying for me than, than the pandemic, in fact, was, was how quickly totally. minds could be changed and, and controlled. Totally. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And, and you know what's amazing about the pandemic, Liz? I mean, the, the truth is there are people that are really, really suffering. Mm-hmm. And there are people that are actually saying, oh, my God, there is so much silver lining. I spend time with my kids. You know, I don't have to commute. And, and nothing has unified us as humanity as this. We're all, we're all the same. We're all in this together. And and the fact that uh, that some of us perceive it as the worst thing that ever happened, and some of us are seeing the silver lining, I mean, it's difficult. I'm not under undermining the, the 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 pressure and the difficulty and the challenge, but the truth is that basically goes back to the happiness equation. It's not about the event of life. It is about your ability to analyze that event and compare it properly to a, a realistic expectation. And I'll, I'll tell you openly, we're humans. We're supposed to get pandemics. This is how it is. We yes. just forgot. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Illness and wellness are, you know, two sides of the same coin, aren't they, I guess? And we have to learn Absolutely. To, to flip the right side more often than not. You talked about being in your late 20s and having everything and not being happy. What's been your own journey since then with happiness? When, you know, when were you most happy and least happy? I know you've had... I'm, I'm, the, I'm the happiest I have ever been right now. It is, oh my God! I, I lost my son Habibi um, Ali uh, six yes. years ago, and I and I, you know, at the beginning thought that this is what this was it that this was the high point of my life, and you know it's now collapsed, and that's it, right? But the truth is, uh, I've never been happier. I, you know, I, I wake up every morning and I uh, and I put in a bit of effort that hopefully some days reaches a thousand people, other days reaches 10,000 people. And I get all of those beautiful messages of people saying, thank you, that opened my eyes. I thought about something differently. And there is nothing on earth that will make you happier than making other people happy. Yeah. And, and, and I've never been happy. I mean, it's, it, it, which actually, again, is an interesting thing because when you think about the pandemic today, huh, mm-hmm. this is the golden age of empathy you you know every every time you wake up in the morning and you feel a little anxious just say okay great i've managed to feel similarly to how 20 to 30 of my friends are feeling empathy is to be able to feel what the other person is feeling and i can promise you anything negative that you're feeling today your friends and loved ones are feeling that's empathy right but then the challenge with empathy of course is that if you have too much of it and it's negative, 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 it distresses you. The only way empathy can work for you is to turn it into compassion, right? Is to say, I feel lonely. So instead of sitting in the corner and crying about it, I'm going to reach out to someone knowing through my empathy that they too feel lonely. And I'm going to give them a call and say, hey, one of us should coffee. Let's mm-hmm. talk about this for a while, right? Now, that idea of, of, of trying to make another people, a person happy has completely flipped my life, my life upside down. And I, I always say that, and it really touches my heart because Ali was the love of my life. Ali was the, you know, and I, and I, I say that with, with, you know, with openness, but I have never loved anyone more than my kids. Okay. Uh-huh. Ali, Ali and Aya are, are my life. Okay. I, I, yeah, I loved my, my ex deeply but not as much as Ali and A. And and for Ali to be taken away, it's like taking a part of my heart. And but he died part, so tragically and so suddenly and so unexpectedly, didn't he? 
he 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 yeah it was a medical error a surgical error in a in a very 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 simple surgical operation but mm-hmm. surgeon did five mistakes in a row and you know couldn't fix them properly and Ali was gone and and when you when you when you think about it i mean you're taking away part of my heart with this yeah. but yeah. but it's been replaced with so much love so much love like can you genuinely Ali's, say that, that you are happy since 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 that absolutely Absolutely. I, 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 I know this sounds crazy. Huh? Uh, first of all, you have to have a specific understanding of life and death to be able to be okay with losing a loved one, especially losing a child. Yeah. But the truth is this. The truth is, since Ali left us, his philosophy, what he taught me about happiness, has reached maybe 40, 50 million people. Yeah. Okay? And if you knew my son... Hmm? I promise you, Habibi, he was so kind and so wise. Hmm? If I had gone to him six years ago and said, Ali, would you give your life to make 50 million people happy? He would have said, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll go right now. Yeah. Okay. And, and, the, and the truth is this. Huh? We are entitled. Okay. Because I could look at this and say, I lost my son. And I'd be correct in making that statement hmm? but i could also look at it and say i got my son which pe- most people don't understand huh? i never signed a deal with life that a little yoda who is the biggest blessing ever is going to land in my life because i made love to the woman that i loved okay and that this boy who could have been you know a, 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 a you know a very difficult child or maybe diagnosed with a with a difficult disease or whatever came and blessed us for mm-hmm. 21 and a half years okay and my brain has the tendency to say life is so unfair it took him away from you for the last 6 years but life is so generous it gave him to me for 21 and a half years yes now yeah. Be realistic. The truth is I did not deserve that blessing in my life. It was a gift. Hmm? And I appreciate the gift. And I would go through it again and again. Hmm? The pain of losing him to have him. Mm. And we don't think that way. No, we don't. But, but, but you see, the truth of the event is Ali came for 21 and a half years. Amazing years. Laughter, fun, wisdom, love. If you'd been hugged once by Ali, you would take the, 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 the pain for the rest of your life. Just one hug. I and I had so many of those hugs. Yes. I've heard you say that there's a difference that we should draw between pain and suffering. Is that right? Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that is, I think, the key, which, again, brings us back to the happiness equation. Events minus expectations. Okay? When events miss expectations, Hmm? unhappiness happens as a survival mechanism. If you understand this, everything changes. Unhappiness is your brain's way of telling you, by the way, something's not perfect here. I'm sensing something that requires your attention. Okay? It's like a fire alarm. When you really think about it, it's basically saying, I'm suspecting there is a fire. I'm not sure there is one, but I'm suspecting there might be a fire. What do we do when fire alarms go, go off? We leave the building, right? That we, we do something about, we take action. If we don't leave the building, two things, two bad things happen. One is you can be burned, not a very good idea. Okay, you haven't fixed the situation. And two, you're sitting in the noise. Okay, so the fire alarm going off is pain. 
Hmm? You staying in the building is a choice of suffering. It's a choice of telling yourself, I'm going to stay in a bad situation and suffer the noise of the fire alarm. Now, let's take those in, in a happiness context. Hmm? Pain is easier to understand in a physical form. Huh? You, you pour some hot water on your, uh, on your skin, you pull your hand away, right? The, even though the, the, the feeling of hot water is not a feeling we like, we actually appreciate the pain because it helps us protect that precious part of us, mm. okay? Here's the interesting thing. Can you recall the last time you had physical pain and regenerate that in your body? Even if it was, you know, horrible pain, if you had a kidney stone, okay? Mm. Can you sit down now and say, okay, I'm going to regenerate that pain in my kidneys? No, you can't, mm. okay? But we have an ability to do that with emotional pain. Emotional pain is, you know, I, um, uh, okay, I'm, I'm just as an example, now you had a car breakdown, so you felt worried, so you texted me and you said, okay, I'm going to be half an hour late. Okay? Yeah. The emotional pain is the fire alarm. Oh, oh my God, he's going to be there, he's going to wait for me. Hmm? The action that you took is, okay, I'm going to text him, right? So the emotional pain triggered the positive action on your side. So like withdrawing your hand from hot water, emotional pain is also useful. But here's the interesting thing. With emotional pain, you can come back again tomorrow and say, I feel so bad that I was late. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then you can come back after tomorrow and say, I'm always late. Yeah. Right, and then and you come back after after tomorrow and say I'm a failure, hmm? right. and and that is that that none of those is an actual event. You're not late anymore. No. The, the event is over. Okay, yeah. all of these are generated by our brains. Hmm? They are the Netflix of unhappiness. They're basically our ability to torture ourselves on demand without escaping the fire, mm. and and that is completely completely optional. And it's a very stupid option to pick. It's like, imagine if, imagine if you went to a, 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 um, a dentist and the dentist told you, look, I have two packages for you. One where, it, where it's going to hurt you in, on, in the, in the you know, here, and then it will hurt you a little bit tonight, but tomorrow you'll wake up fine. And mm -hmm. the other one, very good package. Look at this. I can make you feel the pain now. And then tomorrow, the same time, you feel it again. And then after tomorrow, the same time, you feel it again. Which would you choose? You're not going to go there, are you? <laughs> exactly. Right. But we do that over and over with our, our unhappiness. We just regenerate unhappiness on demand. Yeah. While, by the way, you can choose to stop that by saying, no brain, I don't want to talk about this right now. Or no brain, I want to do something about it. I want to text Mo and say, I'm going to be 30 minutes late. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And if you can't make it, we'll schedule another time. It is what life is all about. Taking action when things go wrong. Is there something then that we can learn from children about this? Because they seem to have oh, yeah. little responsibility for, for almost anything. You know, everything is just sort of provided and maybe their expectations are lower or maybe, as you say, their equation is right because the events do meet their expectations. Can, can we learn things from our children? So, so, so my, again, a, a very important part of my system is that we are born happy. Okay? Oh, we Oh yeah, of course. It requires you to do extensive research of around 14 minutes on YouTube. Okay, <laughs> look for look for infants, right? Look for children. Yeah. And children, if they're if they're safe, if they're yeah. fed, if they're loved, if they're warm, if they're given their basic needs for survival, what is their state? They're happy. They're yeah, playing with happy. their toes. 
Yeah. Try it and click click. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you know, and, and when you really think about it, they don't ask for an Xbox. They don't want anyone to like their butt shot on Instagram. They don't care about that stuff. <laughs> right? And 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 really and, and reality is they're just constantly happy. Mm? Yeah. And then what happens is a diaper or a na- nappy, we call it, a nappy gets wet. Yeah. Right? The nappy gets wet, the 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 child feels unhappy. Mm. Okay, why? Because there is there is a reason for unhappiness. So the child cries. Mm? You change the diaper, the child goes back to happiness. Mm. Okay. Now we, the adults that are roaming the modern world, we're crying all the time. We're constantly unhappy. <laughs> okay. And you have to ask yourself why? Because there are tons of wet diapers. We cause ourselves constant. Constant unhappiness. How do we do that? We think that having a good life is not enough. Having a better life than our than our neighbor is important. Okay. We think that having a, a car that takes you from A to B is not enough, or public transport is not enough. No, no, we need a Bentley, right? We think that you know, uh, uh, having sustaining a, 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 a reasonable life and spending time with the people that you love that's not enough. No, you need to be successful and. Have a big business card. You know, all of these things, if you set them as a priority, good luck, right? You're going to succeed in what you set as your priority, or at least you're more likely to succeed. But if you don't set your happiness as a priority, where'd you end up? I guess social media has to come into play here because there is just so much dissatisfaction, isn't there, from comparison? And happiness well, determined by the number of likes you get, or you know, how easy is it to judge how happy somebody is from looking at their life from the of outside? Of course, I mean, the, the the truth is, the current state of social media of social media is making us unhappy. But hold on, I mean, on my social media, hmm, I post maybe once or twice a day something that is really going to make you happy. Okay? Great. I, I, yeah, I, I talk about things that are important. Hmm? Answer questions from my followers. You know, I uh, I, I post uh, clips from my podcast. I post clips from my, my talks, whatever, right? Hmm. It, there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with social media. All technology is just a tool, right? You you know, you can, you can walk at five miles an hour or five kilometers an hour and you can, you know, achieve five miles an hour and then you can drive a car at 200 miles an hour. Technology has just enhanced your ability to move fast, right? Now, you can use that car and drive it you know, safely at 100 miles an hour and get somewhere quicker, or you can go crazy and drive it like a maniac and kill yourself. Mm. Do, do we blame the car for that? No, it's your choice. You, you, you chose to use it that way, okay? So there is nothing inherently wrong with social media or any, I mean, of course there is now, you know, that AI is really, really pushing us in directions where where we are not aware that we're being pushed to, but yeah. the reality is you can you can you can take charge. I mean, I uh, started a push on social media, you know, a while back that would take me seven hours a day of being on social media, and I measure everything. Hmm? I have <laughs> tools on my phone that measure that measure that. Yeah. Now I do an hour and ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how do you do that by being aware? By taking charge, hmm? you know the the problem with our our technology is what I call toxic internet. It's it's wiping and typing. It's it's mindlessly mindlessly uh, doing things without being aware. Again, deliberate attention. 
I'll give you a great example. My wonderful daughter, Aya, loves cats, okay? And I love my wonderful daughter, Aya. So what, do, what did I do? Every time I was on Instagram, you know, I would spend a little bit of time looking for cat videos and, and yes. pictures and send them to Aya. Millions. Yeah. And so very, very quickly, when I clicked the search button on Instagram, I recognized that the first full page and a half were all cats. Mm. Hello, machine. Are you playing with me here? Right. Yeah. And so, and so, basically, I decided to uh, change that. So I did something randomly. The, the only other video was a woman in a gym working out. Okay. I clicked on that. The next morning, I had three of those in my uh, uh, in my first page. So I clicked on all three. Mm. The third morning. I had only women working out in the gyms. No cats. <laughs> no, it's zero cats. Now, that kind of bias yeah. hmm, can be very unconscious. Can be very unconscious. Huh? If, mm. you, if you swipe mindlessly and click on what you're shown, hmm, you're going to end up in a place where social media is really working against you and truly, truly destroying your morale. Okay? But it's a tool. So we can consciously then say, what do I want to be seeing in my feed? What exactly. do I want to be seeing? Do not exactly. click on bad stuff. That's the message. And, and, and do not click mindlessly on stuff that is presented to you. Right. Right. Okay. So just, just like I talk, spoke about uh, uh, news. Hmm? Yes. Spend enough time to get to the facts that you need to know. And that's it. News is off out of your, out of your day. Okay. Mm -hmm. On social media, I am here to... To, spend, to, to send something to the world about happiness and maybe to look at some of the people I actually follow and I'm intrigued by their content yes. and look at their content and that's it, okay? Similarly, I don't watch horror movies. It's like, seriously, life is scary enough. Why do I want horror I'm with movies? with you on that one, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch violent movies, which, no. by the way, kills me that our society now accepts that yeah. within our living rooms, yeah. someone pulls a gun out points it at someone else's head and puts the, pulls the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That will never happen in my living room. No. Okay? And so, and so those kinds of decisions, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. And it's all neuroplasticity. Huh? Mm -hmm. Every time, every time, there is one more gun trigger, you know, pulled in your living room, you're more okay with that in life. Every time there is hate speech and violence and and, and, you know, people punching each other in your living room, you suddenly believe that life is all about punching each other. How, how does that play out with children? And, you know, I've got a 10-year-old son who's very keen on computer games. And he will say to me, oh, it's fine. You know, it's just cartoons. It's just animation. And yet when you look at it, it a lot of it is so violent. That's a very interesting decision. I am a very serious gamer. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Olympic champion level gamer. Oh, so, wow. so and I actually play a, a game called Halo, which is about shooting aliens, okay? Uh, so ha having said that, yes, in a gamer's mind, mm -hmm. it is all about uh, eye, uh, uh, you know, muscle and tone coordination, mm -hmm. and you're attempting to move the cursor to a certain place and pull a specific key, okay? Having said that, there are games that are extremely violent. Okay, yeah. so, 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 you know, when I, when, when the choice of a game hmm, can actually convince us of things, and I say that again with, with, with respect, hmm, but a game like Call of Duty, hmm, which is advocating killing the enemy, which is also a human, 
Okay, who's the enemy? Often a, a, a Middle Eastern Muslim, a Chinese a person, a, a you know a, a, a Russian person, whatever, because the game views those as the enemy. Yes. Hmm? The, the the truth is nobody's the enemy. Nobody is the enemy. Huh? The countries can disagree, unless a human is against you, they're not the enemy. Okay, mm -hmm. and 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 that kind of conditioning becomes really, uh, um, really difficult. Huh? Yeah. Now you asked about your ten-year-old. When when my kids were growing up uh, in Egypt, that was the time when um, uh, satellite free-to-air uh, channels were starting to be introduced. And, you know, compared to our culture, those had a lot more nudity and a lot more, you know, openness, if you want. And I remember vividly, I had a conversation with my wonderful, wise wife, Nivelle, at the time. And I said, so what are we going to do? Are we going to prevent them from seeing that and protect them and cocoon them? Okay. Or are we going to actually guide them because they're, so, they're eventually going to be exposed to all of this anyway? Okay. And what a good parent does is they lead by example. So Nibel was always a very shy, you know, very, you know, she, she's a person who's very refined. Hmm? And so, yes, we had, you know, movies playing in our living room with our kids next to us. And then there is a hypersexual, you know, scene that comes on screen. Yeah. And, you know, they're not supposed to see that when they're seven or eight. Yeah. And Nibel would jump off her seat and take the remote control and say, oh my God, I can't see this. And she would change it. Mm -hmm. Okay. When my kids became a, a fully grown man, a fully grown woman, wonderful in every possible way, they kept that same habit of feeling a little unokay with yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. Because, yeah. We didn't, because we didn't isolate them from it, but mm -hmm. because we showed them a, yeah. you know, what we believe is the appropriate behavior on that act. You, mm -hmm. you want your kids to learn anything be that thing. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Okay. And, and, and games, games are going to, they're going to encounter games in their life. Oh, so yeah. you might as well become a gamer. Oh no. <laughs> this is my takeaway. Is it from today? <laughs> it's, it, it, you might as well find, I mean, find, find some way to be part of their life. Yeah. Okay? I, I, I did waste one summer, one year and getting slightly addicted to plants be zombies which is possibly the most <laughs> mindless game. <laughs> is, is, that, is that your first confession on your podcast about this openly? <laughs> oh my God, I got her to talk about this. You made me say it. Now, your background in tech, before we go, I'd just like to cover off here because you obviously have a lot of ideas about its future. You know, you've seen its, its significant workings on the inside and this kind of rapid progress of tech. Are you, are you hopeful? Is this going to be a good thing for our happiness? So I, I wrote, I actually finished my, my was what was going to be third book, and now my publisher wants it to be my second book for September next year, a book called Scary Smart. And Scary Smart is about uh, how artificial intelligence is moving a lot faster than we realize, and how artificial intelligence is actually going to be the boss, uh, no doubt about it, uh, within 10 to 15 years at most. And, uh, and how that, uh, like any other technology, can maximize and enhance our current human, uh, human tendencies in general. And I have to say to you, I, I, I started to write that book January uh, 15th because my son 
if you don't if you believe in that stuff sent me a very very clear message mm. saying stop everything and focus on this yeah. and so i started to write january 14th honestly not knowing if there is any cheerful side to this at all okay mm. i was literally in the first five chapters thinking saying it's a concept that i call the three inevitables basically that things will go really bad okay and and then and then somehow i saw beautiful hmm, reality of what this is all about okay and you know some page maybe 70 or something like that i wrote the statement that truly flipped my view upside down which is there's absolutely nothing wrong with technology there is a lot wrong with us okay and you have to see it that way ai is learning from us okay uh, you know uh, uh, social media is populated by us uh, you know our news networks hmm? these are us working in those places broadcasting to us okay the tool is not to be blamed at all now here's the beauty of all of this the beauty of all of this believe it or not is that no longer in this world that we live in is the control within a f at the hands of a few as a matter of fact the control of the universe we're living in is the post you yes you listening to us that one person hmm, the post you're going to make tomorrow is going to shape the world right and the beauty of our world is that there is so many of us as a matter of fact i believe all of us are good people you know if we're if we leave our egos behind all of us are good people okay i think the idea is a call to action the idea is to say you know what just like I'm not going to use a plastic bottle again, because my single plastic bottle might tip the, 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 the scale and destroy our world. Okay? I, I am going to reduce my travel on an aeroplane. Thank God for COVID, huh? Because think about the pollution that we have saved this year. It's almost as if nature is saying, guys, please don't be so self-confident. You don't have to fix it. Just stay at home for a few months and I'll fix myself. Mm. Right. So, so just like you have to get to the point in our world today, our, a world that is very fragile, hmm? you have to get to the point where you tell yourself, I am not going to destroy my environment because it might be me, it might be my one extra gallon of fuel that tilts the scale. Okay. Similarly, tell yourself, I am going to behave in a way that is full of love full of compassion, and I will tell the world openly, I want to be happy. As my primary target, I want to be happy, not successful, not rich, not fancy. I want to be happy, and I have the compassion in me to make others happy. Because I promise you, as I was writing Scary Smart, I would write a few pages for the reader and a couple of paragraphs for the machines. Right? Because the machines will be reading all of this. They are actually reading it as we speak. Okay? As we speak, they're reading our preferences. They're reading the ways we treat each other. They're reading our tendencies. They're reading what we're triggered uh, by and what we, and what we you know, aspire to have. Show the world the good side of you. Okay? Because there is nothing wrong with the machine. We feed the good stuff into the machine. Absolutely. And they will then feed it back to us. Absolutely. There is nothing wrong with tech. Okay. If we behave properly, that tech is going to magnify that amazing behavior 
and basically says it will it will say okay humans want to be happy and they want to make others happy i'll help them with that mo that is a really wonderful thought to end on and please let's hope that that is the beginning the beginning of the happiness revolution and that we have ai and tech and all these other things and in the meantime that we can refocus and replasticize our brain with some positive mindsets i can't believe we've cracked through so much it's been really awesome and so inspiring to talk to you thank you a million thanks for your time today i'm i'm so grateful for the for the opportunity and i'm very very grateful that you uh, gave me a chance to hopefully make one more person happy today thank you and that's all for today's episode. What a fascinating man and story. And interestingly, after the recording, Mo did tell me that he is very social on social media, especially his Instagram. Apparently, he replies to everything. So there you go. Well, as always, you will find all the links and the resources mentioned on today's show over on lizardwellbeing.com. There you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter filled with even more ideas for living a happier healthier life. Huge thanks to all of you who left such lovely reviews. It really does help others to find the show, hopefully a little bit of happiness too. So if you have a moment, just click on a five-star review. My team and I would be so grateful. Thank you. It would make us happy. So until the next time, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, with production by Amara Lizelle and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue, with thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, guest booker, Millie de la Morinière, and assistant researcher, Martha Comerford. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.